overarching, excuse me, uh, title or theme for this book that we're preaching is What's So Amazing About Grace? And yes, there will be a book coming uh, after I've done preaching this. Um, but what's so amazing about grace? And, and uh, so 1 Peter 1.17, let's take a look here. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, aren't you thankful for that? He doesn't, right? Yeah. Judges according to every man's work. He's not going to judge me according to your work or you according to mine. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And that's not being afraid of society or life or others. That's the fear of God that we so often hear about throughout Scripture. Verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be where? In God. And for just a few minutes of your time, I promise I won't preach as long as I did at, at uh, Nebraska Conference today. I, well, okay, then I might maybe. Just teasing. But... Uh, I'm going to preach this title, Fearfully Passing the Time. Amen. Fearfully Passing the Time. Pray with me for just a moment. Lord Jesus, this is your church and not mine. You and your word alone saves, delivers, and heals. You know every person. You know every issue. You know every struggle. You know every need. Your word then is anointed and appointed for this moment. So on the authority of your word, I bind every spirit of hindrance, and I loose your peace to fill this place. For without you, we are nothing. Let there be a demonstration of your spirit and power. Confirm your word with signs following. Let me walk in your spirit and not my flesh. Let me say only what you want to say and nothing more or less. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Time waits for no one. And it doesn't appear... To be slowing down anytime soon. Earlier this year, I was challenged by a friend to number my days. Also earlier this year, I celebrated the big 5-0. Hit that big benchmark age, 50. Well, I decided to figure out how old I am in days as of today. And I'm happy to report to you I have lived 18,379 days as of today. But I begin to think about that, and I begin to think about what the Scripture says, Elder. It says, teach us, Lord, to number our days. And I wonder if maybe instead of counting years, I know that sounds better, 50 compared to 18,000, which sounds real old. But maybe we start counting our days and numbering our days. Might get more birthdays that way, who knows. Of course, none of us know when our final day will come. That's recorded in the wisdom and mind of God somewhere. He's in control. Amen. He alone numbers our days. Amen. Amen. And since God holds every heartbeat in His hands, then we should, as the verses I just read to you, pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. Amen. So how do we do that? It's a great question. Number one, we need to recount our redemption fearfully. 
I, I, I paused on a few of the verses when I was reading it, but without respect of persons, verse 17, he judges us according to our works. I'm thankful for that because that means he's not grading on a curve. I never liked it when that happened in class. Because why do I have to do the hard work then? Let the valedictorian do it and the rest of us will get a good grade. Uh Uh-uh. It ain't going to work that way with God. There's expectation for all of us. There are men and women here today who hold credentials. But but you don't have to hold a credential to, to be judged according to works. Amen. We need to pass the time of our sojourning in fear. We, we need to realize that we've been redeemed. There's no way I could be redeemed from anything in my past, the tradition of my fathers. There's no way that that could save me. There's not enough sum total of goodness in this room or in this world or ever has been that could equal righteousness. The Bible says the sum total of our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best that we can come up with together collectively is filthy, dirty rags. That's why we need the righteousness of God. And so... We need to recount our redemption fearfully because it's through Him. It's by Him, amen, His precious blood, the blood of the Lamb without spot, amen, without blemish that has saved us. In other words, never take grace for granted. Never. It's too precious to think about flippantly. It's too beautiful and wonderful to just abandon Amen? Amen. Born-again believers are serious about sin and serious about holy living. God is holy and has saved us to be holy. God judges our works now and will judge them eternally when He returns. That should cause us to number our days. Am I making every day count? And I know we have to, we, we take time off and, and we have vacation and we have, you know, this or that and other things. And, you know, kids get summer break and college students summer break. Oh, I get all that. I understand that. We got to eat, sleep, drink, all of those things. I understand that. But am I making my day count? If I'm truly to number my days, Pastor Danny, am I able to get to the end of that and say, today I've made something count for God? I've, I've loved my family. I've, I've witnessed to someone. I've lived the life before somebody. I've, I've done something that pleases God. I need to make every day count. Works cannot save you, though. That's the, that's the conundrum. I'm doing them, but they don't save me. But don't be confused. Just because they works don't save doesn't mean you're not going to be judged by them. In fact... Oftentimes, people that lean in the camp that, you know, oh, works don't judge us, and so they don't practice any works, or they don't, you know, enforce any kind of uh, standard, they'll often go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Here's what it says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I believe that. It's in the Bible. Watch this. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Because, Sister Alicia, you might do more works than me, So you could boast and you might get more salvation than me. And if that were the case, and God graded on some scale like that, I don't know if if I would have enough good works. Maybe you wouldn't either. I don't know. Maybe you would have more than enough. 
So it's, it's not of works lest any man should boast. And that's where they'll stop. They'll stop at verse 9. And woohoo, see, it's not about works. But there's another verse. Too many in Christianity are stopping there and claiming that holiness teaching is, or holiness living is legalistic. But we need to keep reading. For we are His, God, His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He didn't just save us to put us out and say, there, you're saved. You're in a memorial somewhere. You're in a museum somewhere. That's a saved person. He didn't just do that. He saved you to have a function, to have a purpose. If I don't open this lid and use the contents inside, it's no good to me. He didn't just save me to say, there's a bottle of water. Great, we all know that. But when I open it, mm, when I partake of it, it now has purpose. It now has function. God saved us to do good works. Notice what else it says. Which God has before. Okay. Here we go, ready? The pulpit is salvation. Okay, Sunday school time for just a minute here. The pulpit is salvation. This is before salvation. Okay? And after salvation comes works. Are you ready? We know salvation was foreordained. Right? This, this passage and others prove that. But now we know that works were also before if salvation was before so was works because works come after doing works without being saved won't help you being saved but not doing works won't help you and both of them are before before what before the foundation of the world in other words grace didn't just come to save you grace came to utilize you Grace came to give you a purpose. Grace came to teach you, Titus says. Grace came so that you can, what God has poured in you and sealed you, you can pour out to others. You didn't just get the Holy Ghost to become a bottle that is sealed, that can never be. God filled you so that you can pour out. But here's the beautiful thing. When I'm done with this bottle, it'll go in the trash. It'll be thrown away. But aren't you thankful that God fills us back up again? We pour out and he fills us back up again. And we pour out and he fills and virtue flows out and he fills us back up. And we pray for somebody and he blesses us and we witness to somebody and he blesses us and we give out and he... Are you thankful? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. And I want to remind you that if, if being holy were impossible, God would have not included such verses as this or others in the Bible. So you can be holy. You can do good works if you want to. You remember Brother Oggs? You got to have the want to. I asked this young minister over here today, Luke. I said, you ever heard of Brother Oggs? He goes, nope. I'm like, man, I got to learn you there, buddy. Brother Oggs had cerebral palsy. And I, I, I'm, I'm, what I'm about to do, I'm not mocking him or the disease or, or, or whatever. But, but in his own way, I'd, I heard him preach a number of times. He would, you know, his arms were kind of twisting. Bike, I'm going to ride you. You know, and that, that's how he talks. So I'm not doing it to make fun. And, and he did. He rode his bike. 
I don't know how many times he fell before he succeeded, but he eventually rode that bike. And it, it prompted the story and, and in the message he preached, you got to have the want to. Of course, you know, uh, society would just say, well, he put his mind to it and he did it. But Brother Oggs would tell you, God gave him the strength to do it. And so I, I want to just borrow from that and tell you that if you have the want to, you can live for God. If you have the want to, you can succeed for God. If you've got the want to, you can be holy and do good works. You just got to have the want to. That's what it boils down to. 1 Peter 1.17 also gives us an interesting word. Let me, let me just read it again here. He says here, I'll just read the whole verse, verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning. I want to focus on that word, sojourning here in fear. Peter brings us to the point that we are sojourners. If I was to ask any one of you, you could probably rattle off your address to me, complete with zip code, and maybe you might know the last four of that zip code, you know, the complete nine number of your zip code. But the point is we all have an address, and some of us rent, and some of us lease, and some of us own, and, and so on and so forth. But we have a place we live, Pastor Lucas, but this is not the end. We're sojourners. I live here. I breathe here. I die here. I pay taxes here. I do all of that. I vote here. I do all of that. But, but this is not the end, Elder. There, there's a, a home in heaven. We heard about it in the offering message today. I'm preparing for an eternal place. Mm. So we're sojourners here. And that's another reason why we should be holy. Let me just say this. When Lot went from being a sojourner to a resident... Every morning, open up that flap. There's Sodom. Until eventually, he's inside Sodom and he's got a house. When the angels come, he has a house. He ain't in a tent sojourning anymore. He's inside the city, paying taxes, living and breathing and dying there, marrying his daughters there. When you go from sojourning in this world to becoming a resident of this world, don't be surprised if the fire of God falls and destroys what you've been living around. Uh-oh. Uh, I'm starting to feel something here. We need to be careful. Amen. We need to be careful, Lot, because you might lose your wife because she's more interested in what's behind than what's ahead. Hear me in the Holy Ghost. There's a reason why we have to remember we're sojourners. Brother Keith will tell me almost every time we see each other, I have a confession to make. This world is not my home. It's kind of an ongoing little joke thing with us, but the fact is it ain't a joke. It's the truth. This world is not the end for me. I'm just here temporarily. I've got a home, amen, in eternity with Jesus. Amen. Don't be like the thorny ground soil. And let the cares of this life choke out eternity from you. Weigh the beauty of eternity, how scripture describes it against the temporal things of this life. Folks, stuff don't last around here anymore. It all fades. It all changes. But that is constant and eternal. We need to learn from, from this verse that life is too short to waste on temporal things. Amen.
No one ever said on their deathbed that they wished they would have spent more time at the office and spent more time doing things like that. Instead, with regret, many people will lay there and say, I wish I'd have been with my family more. I've never heard yet a person who's been on their deathbed say, hey, bring me a computer. Hey, bring me a report. Hey, bring me something so I could do some more work before I die. But you know what? I have heard Pastor Danny time and again, can you get my kids? Can you get them on the phone? Can you get my family? I need to talk. They, they want those last moments to be with family. Why? Because, and even if it's a good life, even if they've lived a good life, at least they they want to be surrounded by their, they don't want to be surrounded by office work. They don't want to be surrounded by that stuff. They want to make their last moments count. And so let's make sure when we get to that last moment, if that happens to us, we've also made all the other days count too. Hallelujah. In other words, God's not just a bucket list to me. He's my life. I'm not just going to give God the leftovers. Here's how we need to live. Give God what's right, not what's left over. Amen. I'm a sojourner. If you've been given two talents, increase it to four. If you've been given five, increase it to ten. And if you've been given one, increase that to two. Don't be like that person and go bury it. If you're building and you are, Make sure before you choose wood, hay, and stubble, take a real good look at that. And remember, ah, I'd rather choose gold, silver, and precious stone. Here's, here's the reason why we want wood, hay, and stubble. It's on the surface. It's easy. You can attain it. It's cheaper. But if you read there in 2 Corinthians, when the judgment comes, it's a judgment of fire. I, want gold, I know gold, silver, and precious stone cost a lot more. I, I'm not going to just get up here and tell you that living for God ain't going to cost you something it is. And Jesus didn't pull no punches either. Did he? You got to take up your cross. You got to follow me. You got to deny yourself. The world tells you to be yourself. Jesus said, deny yourself. We're the selfie generation. God said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Right? Amen. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So recount that your redemption fearfully. Number two, remember your redemption was foreordained. I've already kind of hit on that a little bit. But verse 20, listen to what it says as well. Who verily, the verse before he's talking about Christ, that, that lamb, that precious blood, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, before there was a world, before there was substance on this earth, before there was let there be light, before there was any creation, God already had salvation foreordained in his mind. But when was it manifest? In these last times. He already knew, I'm going to come here. I'm going to split time in half here. I'm going to hang on a cross here before he ever created anything. But it was manifest then. We, can, we have the privilege of looking back and seeing it. God saw it before it happened. And so the highest motive for living holy is love. If God would love me enough... To think of salvation before there's a serpent who slithers in the garden to tempt the woman. If he would love me that much to have salvation, to have a way of escape, then the highest motive to do good works and to live holy is love. And I know I'm a little bit slow this morning, and I'm... I am a little tired, but it's not because of that. It's because I want you to get this today. 
So if, if you'll bear with me, let me kind of stay in first and second gear for a minute. You know, I want you to understand this. Highest motive, highest motive for living holy is, is love. And God is love. I want you to think about this for a minute. Other, other uh, writings and, and uh, uh, other deities and other mythologies that are out there, the gods in those stories expect the servants and the subjects that they oversee to die for them, to please them, to, to benefit them. But the God of all creation said, here's what I'm going to do. I know humanity is going to be messed up, mixed up, confused, hurt, bewildered. I know it's going to be debauched, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put myself in that. I'm going to be tempted in all points as they are without sin. I'm going to feel the grief and the pain and the, and the yuckiness of all that sin so that I can let them lay my back open and let them pound nails into my hands and feet and let the blood flow so that I can redeem them and bring them back to myself. The highest motive then for living holy is love. And God is love. You cannot love God and not be holy. And you cannot be holy if you don't love God. And let me just go a step further. You can't love God, but what you aren't also loving others. Because in John's epistle, he said, if you, if you do that or say that, you're a liar and a murderer. <sighs> God loved me. He loved me while I was in sin. <laughs> he saved me before I even asked. <sighs> He saved me before I repented. It was already there. See, that's why it's so easy to get the Holy Ghost. That's why it's called a gift. You don't want my water. I tell you what, I've got to find something. I tell you what, here we go. You can't keep this, but pretend, Brother Tullus. Right. If this was, you like guns? Oh, yeah. This was a, you, you pick the gun, whatever it is. You got it in your mind. And, and, and it's a gift. What do you have to do? There you go. He just has to receive it. He don't have to say, oh, man, here, here, let me pay for that. It's a gift. I don't expect him to get on his knees and say, please, 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 please. I really want it, please. I want to give it to you. Thank you. It's, it's his. And it was already, thank you, it was already prepared before you even asked, before you even realized you were living in sin, the gift was already available. That's what's so precious about it. That's what's so beautiful about it. Hallelujah. Can we just pause for a minute and thank him for salvation? Oh. <laughs> Hallelujah. He loved me before I even loved myself. He loved me when no one else did. Hallelujah. When I felt rejected and abandoned, he wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. 
So I'll be act and I'll behave and I'll communicate and I'll dress in a way that pleases him. Why? Because I love him. People ask me or my wife and even our kids, we taught them growing up. If people ask you why you live this way, please don't say the Bible or, or, or the, the church makes this or, or the pastor preaches it's just, just Here's the best answer. Because I love Jesus. Because I want to. I get to. I choose to. Was it Dan Dean? You know, I choose to be a Christian. Nobody's making me do it. Right? I choose to do this. I get to do this. It's a privilege. Hallelujah. Number three, reaffirm your faith and hope. Listen to verse 21. Who by him, who's the him? The lamb, the blood, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith, watch this, that your faith and hope is where? In God. I don't want your faith and hope in me. I'll do my best to be the best person I can be. I'll do my best to have integrity, character, and, and, and earn your trust and keep it and all of those things. I will do that, Pastor Lucas, to the best of my ability. But at the end of the day, I have the propensity to fail. I don't want your faith and hope, amen, in this building. I don't want your faith and hope in any of those things. I want your faith and your hope in God and in God alone. He is the head of the church. Amen? Praise God. And so regardless of what other people say about God, reaffirm your faith and your hope in Him and in His Word. I believe Peter wrote these words from a painful experience. We know he denied Jesus. And I believe when he penned these words, when the Holy Spirit was prompting him, I believe the sting of that, not in condemnation, but the sting of that memory of what he did. Now, of course, we know he, he died, and history bears out that, that he uh, uh, was crucified and liked his Lord, only he wanted to be upside down. He didn't feel worthy enough to be right side up as Jesus was. But the point is, he, he was faithful to it. If you read Second Peter, you'll find he, he's getting close to the end. He knows, and he says, as my Lord said to me, my day is coming. And he knows it's close, and he's faithful to the end. But still, pinning these words, I can imagine there's an element of that that, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And everyone in this room has a moment in our past that we, if we could go back to, we would change. But I would, I would counsel you this way. God knew before we had those moments. And so instead of going back to try to change them, let them be a memorial that every once in a while you look back, thank God for the lesson I learned. We just came back from vacation and rushed home to see you guys. I'm glad we did. I got to see all of you at the uh, thing last Sunday, Community Sunday. And then, of course, Monday, and then, boom, I'm out again Tuesday, heading to York. But on our trip, Shannon... Um, you were asleep some of it, not all of it, baby. You, you were asleep some of it, but and that was. I'm glad you did. I, I don't mind that one bit. I'm not saying that to joke about you, but I, can you just verify? When I was driving, okay, was I doing this? Occasionally, maybe right. If I needed to back up, or you know, I, I was I was probably looking in the rearview mirror occasionally, in the, in the side mirrors, especially when I'm changing lanes, you know, and making sure I'm safe. But when I was driving, I was I was not driving this way going forward, was I? I would look back every once in a while because I needed to. I wanted to make sure I'd pass that truck in time to get back over. I wanted to make sure, you know, uh, changing lanes and traffic, all of that. But probably 85, 90% of the focus was forward. Amen? 
And that's how we need to live. Check back every once in a while. Okay, I'm still, still making progress. Don't look back and regret. Look back with a sense of thank God for what I learned. And I believe that's also why Peter says that your faith and hope might be in God. Here's what I love about that story, Brother uh, Tullus, is that Jesus, when he sat there, if you could hold the keys for a minute, he didn't come up and say, oh, yeah, you deny me? <laughs> I'm going to give him to some other disciple. He didn't do that, did he? Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, why are you asking me this? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. I don't believe Jesus did it three times to condemn him because he denied him three. I just believe Jesus was saying, I need to know because the keys are in your hands. I need to know because, Peter, in, in a few days, I'm going to come with a holy anointing upon you. And you're going to open your mouth. And you're going to declare the very first apostolic message. You're going to preach on the day of Pentecost. And about 3,000 are going to be born again because you've preached it. You're going to have some keys. And you're going to open some doors to the Gentiles and the Samaritans. I just need to make sure that you understand. I love you. Do you love me? Love is the greatest motive for holiness. <sighs> Hallelujah. So reaffirm your faith and hope. Let me also say this. Satan speaks to me from my past. That's why he's the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't have the ability to know my future. God speaks to me from my future. So be sure you're listening to the right voice. Spend every day of your life reaffirming your faith and your hope in God. Praise team, if you'd get ready to come up. Jesus rose. You can walk out of the grave of, of your sin. Come on, he's here to bring life and hope. And if we'll just commit ourselves to numbering our days and living for him and making every day count... Well, pastor, I did something I'm ashamed of. You know what? There's an altar where you can find peace and forgiveness. You don't have to walk out of here exposed as, as Adam and Eve when they said we we're naked and ashamed. You don't have to leave here shameful. You can leave here today forgiven. You can leave here today and have a good day the rest of the day and number this one and number the next one and so on and so forth. I want your faith and your hope to be in God alone. I've said it many times. I'll keep saying it. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take his word for it. I, I believe I can say I know how Paul feels and after pastoring for a number of years and preaching for many years when I came to you I don't want to come with excellency of speech or wisdom. I'll study. I'll prepare. I'll do everything I can to make sure what I'm explaining is accurate and, and is appropriate and, and contextually accurate and true and hermeneutically accurate in Scripture and, and fills with the Spirit of God. But, but I'm not coming to you to try to impress you with, with big words. I just want to declare to you the testimony of God. I don't want to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If it weren't for that, 
this would all be meaningless. This would just be a good speech. Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I've been told before that the best people to talk to is those that have been there with you. Danny, that's why when you talk to some of them people that God's leading you to, you've been in that valley with them, you know where they've been, they're going to hear that word because you've walked it. There was a preacher kind of updated the parable to more modern times. He said there was this man that had fallen and was in a deep kind of ditch hole area and he couldn't get out. He's, help! Help! And a doctor came along and heard him yelling, he, uh, yelling out for help and he said, I know just the thing to help. He pulls out his prescription pad and pen, writes out a prescription for pain medication and drops it in a hole. The guy's like, um, still need help. I can't fill the prescription. You know? <laughs> Gotta get out of here first. Right? A few minutes later, a preacher walked by and, you know, must not care about people. And, I know just what will help. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Wrote out the 23rd Psalm and dropped it down. The guy's like, ah, appreciate that, but I need help. A few minutes later, Brother Colin, guy comes along and hears a guy hollering for help and he jumps down in with him. He's like, man, what'd you do that for? He said, well, I've been here before. I know how to get out. I've come to help. And so when Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, Brother Daniel, what he's saying is, I've been there before. I struggle hearing the cries of Stephen. I struggle hearing the cries of those I've persecuted. I was with you in weakness and fear. Why did God call me? I know my past. Paul had a sense of humility here. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should stand. Not in me. Not in the wisdom of men, but where? In the power of God. Hallelujah. We live in a world where only 26% of Americans go to church at least once a month. Once a month. 26%. These are numbers that have been vetted out through reputable agencies. In a society where sin and confusion continue to abound, and there's now 107 genders, now is the time for the church to fearfully pass the time of our sojourning in fear. Romans 13, 10 says, Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Church, if you sleep and wake up, for now 
is our salvation nearer than when we believe? He's not talking about justification there. He's talking about glorification. Jesus is coming. Now it's getting closer. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let's make every day count. Let us put on the armor of light. I know the world's dark. I know it's full of sin. And we can sit around until Jesus comes talking about it. Or we can start shining the light and finding those people that need help. Lucas, I'm going to jump in the hole with them. I'm going to get down there with them because they need help. I'm not just going to say it's dark. I'm going to say, here's some light. Oh, stand with me. When Queen Elizabeth was dying, it's reported that she said, all of my possessions for another moment of time. But even a monarch could not bribe the clock. So be careful if you're killing time because you can't resurrect it. Instead, redeem the time because the days are evil. Chronos, chronology, time keeps ticking. It's 1237. Pretty soon it'll be 1238. That's what time measured by the clock. Kairos is the Greek word for what we would call quality time. Time measured by special moments and and, and both, we can't go back and get 1236. Neither can we go back and get a Kairos moment. That's why Jesus stood over Jerusalem. And he wept. He said, Jerusalem, you missed the Kairos of your visitation. God help us to fearfully pass the time. C.T. Studd said it this way. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So I ask here today, as the praise team gets ready to sing, is there anybody that wants to redeem the time? Is there anybody that wants to take just a few moments before we walk out of this building and go our ways and have our lunches and all of that and say, God, help me to number my days. Help me to fearfully pass the time. Come on, if you need to repent, come and make an altar for a moment and say, God, I'm going to put you back in first place in my life. I'm, I'm going to set entertainment aside and I'm, I'm going to set these other things aside that have been distracting me and I'm going to put you back at the rightful place on the throne. I'm, I'm going to fearfully pass the time in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.